On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's partners, The Sandbox, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities and live streams. And I guarantee you, if you started a YouTube channel where you were just knitting 100 <laughs> miles an hour, there, there'd be people that would be totally down. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washington. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will dive into student reflections on pandemic learning, debate whether TikTok delivers better quality content than most school-based experiences, why teacher unions are in support of fully opening schools next fall, and our guest this week is educator and president of YV Educational Resources, Yaritza Villalba. You want to talk about YouTube? <laughs> I love YouTube. I, I still, I, anyways, everyone, everyone loves YouTube, but I learned, we're going to actually talk about TikTok in a bit, which is yeah. funny because I learn a ton on YouTube. What mm. have you been watching on YouTube? So I've got Tell this, me. this new fascination, right? Um, I started watching this uh, specific YouTube channel. I don't even know how it came up on my, you know how things are suggested to you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on your on your YouTube, you know, whatever, uh, timelines. And anyway, there was a suggestion of this. I think it was because I, I watch a lot of um, things that have to do with uh, card trading. You know what I'm talking about? Like baseball card trading or sports card trading. Okay. You know, so I was watching some, some of that kind of things. And then I guess in a weird slant, this guy called the Cincinnati Picker. Okay. Um <laughs> appeared on my thing so i click on the thing and what he does is he wears a gopro and he goes to garage sales and this is his whole channel and what he does he goes to all these different garage sales in the cincinnati ohio area i guess and he picks out you know he buys all kinds of different things and then he has a business that he runs on ebay and basically the, the episodes are him picking up stuff at these garage sales and then him showing you what he actually, you know, what they are and what they're valued. And then eventually and then the, sa it. the sales, the sales of whatever he actually did and kind of some big time things that he picked up and some surprises and whatever it might be. And it sounds so not that entertaining, <laughs> but it is so good. This guy, this, I mean, it's not like anything amazing or whatever, or some, whatever it might be, but, but for whatever reason, it makes me want to go to garage sales and, Go buy That's some funny. stuff and go sell it on eBay. <laughs> That's funny. You, you know what's funny though, and this is this is actually we'll 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 go from this right into TikTok because I think yeah. we're talking about the yeah, same yeah. thing. But the thing about YouTube is that there's something for everybody. Yeah. And YouTube and video content and podcasting content in particular, new media content, really emphasizes the idea that there is an audience for every. That's true. Yes. There is an audience for everything. And you can be like, you want to you wanna take up speed knitting. And I guarantee you, if you started a YouTube channel where you were just knitting 100 <laughs> miles an hour, there, there'd be people that would be totally down with that. In fact, 
right after this, I'm gonna go look and see <laughs> if, if I there's exist. people on YouTube if I exist doing and, uh, speed knitting. Yeah. And I bet you there is, and yeah. their and views are astronomical. <laughs> and so, so that's the thing about yeah. YouTube. Like, like we've talked about on the podcast. Actually, what if I told you? But there was a show, an interview show, where a guy interviewed someone else. Okay. And during the entire interview, they were eating oh, chicken yes. wings. Yes, I remember that. I remember and that. And when you explain that show to someone, <laughs> they They're look like, at what? you. If they've never heard of it, they look at you like you have three eyes. Like you, <laughs> you know, are just out of your mind thinking that is good content. It's called Hot Ones, friends, and it is one of the most popular <laughs> yeah, shows yeah. on YouTube. It is incredibly popular, yeah. and it is very good. It's very entertaining, yes. and the person who is the host of Hot Ones is a phenomenal interviewer. Big time. It is great content. Yes, it is a dude interviewing people while eating, <laughs> eating chicken <hot> wings. wings. <laughs> it's amazing. And you should all go watch it. You should pause this, go load it up, watch an episode, then come back. You That's can do a that lot now. more entertaining than the Cincinnati Picker. But for those of you that are interested in just something different, I just was like hooked on it. Then I'm like, oh, this is really good. It's like 15 minute episodes or so. And then I'm like, man, I got to go watch another one. So That's I've been watching amazing. Cincinnati Picker and give him a shout out. He does now, a really good job. I've learned a <laughs> lot on YouTube. A lot. Mm. In fact, I would I would attribute almost all of my graphic design experience to YouTube. Okay. I would attribute most of anything I've learned about coding to YouTube. Uh, certainly audio editing. Uh, certainly streaming and the, um, you know, what I need as far as technology mm. And like techniques and styles and like graphics and layouts and like all of that stuff, all from watching YouTube videos. Yeah. And you know, so our mutual friend and yes, you know, Nick is a very I would consider Nick a very good friend. And I in fact warned him that we were gonna talk about this tweet <laughs> because he wrote so this is Obi Wan Nick Obi. Um uh and Nick wrote, and we'll put the tweet in the show notes. He said, your kids learn more quality content from TikTok than most school-based experiences. Uh, they are quick, to the point, and discussion encouraged. If I need a quick tutorial for something, it is now my go-to search engine. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, and... And when I told him that we were going to um, talk about this, yeah. he blamed you for this. <laughs> First off, what was your, your initial thought when you saw the tweet? And have you thought about it more, especially now that you knew we were going to talk about it? Yeah. Um, my initial thought and what I posted right away was I couldn't believe that he said it was more than school-based experiences. That's what I put. And I put, talk about a hot take. Yeah. And, and he did respond to that um, as far as he did give me a response. And I was, I, I would say that I was way too aggressive. And I told him that too in a DM that he told me something to the effect of, I apologize or something about that the thing. And I said, no, nah, you don't have to apologize. That's not... I was like, I am, I'm apologizing for being too 
fired up and and so aggressive that's what i put on my responses to you because that was that was not cool really what it was and i told them that too is that i just know that this is a time where i don't want to detract from the work that a lot of people are doing and a lot of school districts are doing uh are there bad school districts yes we've talked about them on this uh bad teachers yes we've we talk about them on the show too Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of people doing great amazing things in spite of all of the current circumstances and the different uh, situations that they may uh, have encountered this year and in previous years you know we started this show i remember uh, a few years ago when we started it one of our first episodes was about uh, school shootings and how Mm -hmm. teachers and their students both have to go to these places these schools where you're you're supposedly safe and and really we aren't you know and right. we talked about kind of this and and yet we still do the work that needs to be done as educators and so similar vein here i just wanted to make sure that i was too aggressive in my stance <laughs> and i think and i understand his point actually better now too i i understand where he was coming from he did put it as a hot take which is fine because i put some hot takes on twitter too and he was putting it as basically this is a potentially great learning platform. Mm-hmm. And and he actually for himself, it is a great learning. It is his preferred. It be, has become his preferred learning platform. Um, and in my – the only part that I was taking offense to was that it, it said something that's it's better than most school-based experiences. Yeah, he's he's wrong. Yeah, yeah, but but I but he said he he responded later on and he said, hey, I, you know, I apologize for the you know, the crap take or whatever. But you know, and I said, you know what? It's not that it wasn't a crap take. It, it no, was it was a, gotta, it was it was a hot take that happens all the time on social media. I took yeah. it, I took it to the extreme edge because I was already irritable, and then so I went to way an end of fiery fury, which I shouldn't have done yeah. that too. And Nick, I apologize to you here on air. And as I apologize to you with that DM, that was that was way too aggressive. I could have taken that different tone and said, you don't really mean this. You're saying that this is a great learning platform, but you're not really saying blah, blah, blah. And of course, yeah, yeah, we yeah. all could have been talked off ledges here, but it's that hot. It's the hot stuff that comes off of Twitter sometimes. And depending upon your current mood, uh, unfortunately, sometimes it goes to an extreme. And I'm glad that Nick actually was willing to talk about it and and. And like I said, I was wrong in the way that I approached it too. <laughs> he, he's not. He, he. You got to separate like the 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 first paragraph there, yes. the first bit. I, I disagree with him completely. I mean, mm-hmm. and he knows. I mean, <laughs> your kids don't learn more quality content from TikTok than school. That's. I mean, it's fine. Whatever. But TikTok is super cool place to learn new things mm. and the people doing creative interesting things on tiktok are 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 doing those things mm. and it's amazing to watch um now that being said i i guarantee you that the average 16 year old's tiktok algorithm <laughs> is is not landing them in world history and yeah. and math it's it's landing them in far darker terrain than that, and so let's just be real. Yes. Like first, there there is not many better algorithms than the TikTok algorithm. If 
are you on TikTok? Like, do you? I I am, but I don't. I I have like I think I though? follow. I think I follow on it. No, I don't on education. I think I follow Connor. Uh, maybe you. If you if you start to surf TikTok and yeah. like like things, it does an amazing job of picking up on the things that you're into, mm. and you can really like hone in on your interests um, through liking things and commenting on things. They, their algorithm is outstanding, mm. and so I'm just saying that the average six, especially you know, yeah, like. The average sixteen-year-old's algorithm. Same thing as YouTube. Is not, it's too. not giving yeah. you educational content. No, for sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, but there's t- my my TikTok now is all cooking almost. Um, interestingly enough, so I'm getting a lot of, re- but like that's great. Yeah, it's I'm getting a lot of really cool recipes. I bet. And like cooking ideas, and I love to cook, as everyone who follows me on Twitter knows. So, uh, I, I mean, TikTok is awesome. It is not better than school. Um, yeah, but, but the point of Nick's tweet was that TikTok is great for learning yeah. things. And he's, he's totally he's, right. He's right on that. Yes. Agreed. Totally right about that. Yes. So, yes. Um, another thing on Twitter. Tell me, tell me about this other tweet that you had found uh, the other day. Um, so, we have basically a interview that this teacher did justin reich and he said he had justin reich is a very smart guy by the way just if you don't know who justin reich is he was one of the founders of the ed tech team Mm. no ed tech teacher they're two different things ed tech Mm. teacher they used to do ipad summits all the time yeah um all over north america anyways justin reich super smart dude yeah, and he has the Cheech Lab podcast, as it says here. Um, and they did it. They basically interviewed students about pandemic learning. And he had this great thread, which we'll make sure we link uh, with what the students said, you know, kind of these different comments. And if you go down the line of these comments, what my biggest takeaway was from these comments was the students' experience during pandemic learning was all over the place. So to, to, like, to encapsulate it into saying one kind of uh, basic thing is very difficult to do. And, I, and there's very positive experiences, and there's also obviously some very negative experiences, and then everything else in between. Some of the things that I thought were very like telling and things that we can take from this as educators were some of these types of things. Uh, there was a comment here or one of the uh, students said, try to understand, not just listen. So there's a, and there's a lot of these type of comments in, in this thread that talking about empathy, basically, not just during these crazy times of pandemic, uh, you know, learning, but from this point forward that, that they really appreciated those, those types of things. And there was some comments of like, hey, I, I love this for my own personal reasons. I love this. And some people said, this is horrible. I hated this. I, uh, I just I want to just be back in school. I can't do it. I can't successfully uh, learn it in this way. I would highly recommend teachers take a look at this thread. And hopefully you're even asking your students at the end of each of these at the end of this year, whenever this is coming up for you as the year wraps up, just kind of things that 
you can do as the educator? Like, what kinds of things should I continue to go ahead and do that happened this year that that you appreciated? Whatever those types of things, and what should we not, you know, uh, you know, continue to do? Whatever that might be, and it can be things related specifically to instruction, and it could be things related to just how we focused on uh, making sure that we had good relationships with our students, um, yeah, and everything else in between. So I thought that was a really good. I I, I love that they ask the students these questions. I think that a lot, that every teacher should take a look at these things, but then also ask their own students in their school and, and reflect upon that um, for next year. I think the best part about a lot of these quotes, quotes is that it's a great reminder that not every student is the same. Students are not mm. a monolith. No. Um, and teachers aren't either, in no. fact. And, and you can be a great in-class teacher and and be a n- not a particularly skilled remote teacher. Yeah. And you can also be the inverse of that and you can be a great in-class in-school student and not a very good remote student. I yeah. think my son is actually one of those. Um, you know, we're back to if you I think I've mentioned this but Ontario is in the middle of a I think we're we're four weeks into a six week full lockdown, like school's closed. Yeah. You had said um, that. So all, both of our kids are fully remote and my wife is teaching fully remote right mm. now. And um, neither of our boys like remote learning. No. Um, and, and it's, it's not a very good experience. Mm. And um, yeah, everyone's different. Absolutely. And, and, and and I really hope that this one that really stood out to me was where it said that they hoped that teachers, when they come back to school, will treat students with the same level of empathy and compassion that they have been during the pandemic. Absolutely. You know, That's that you, it. that like, that we continue to realize that. You know, just because everyone's back in school 100% of the time doesn't mean your home life is amazing, doesn't mean your parents are amazing, doesn't mean everything that goes with your social life is amazing. Mm. Um, and still that level of, of, of empathy that we've really hammered home into teachers over the last year and a bit that you have to really, you know, be cognizant of of your students and where they are as people personally Mm. that has to carry forward please like that has to be the biggest takeaway of the last year and a bit yes um so in that being said you know i think we expect i think i still expect that september um, will be will be a hundred percent in in school, um, and you're in school now, and and yeah. I I don't suspect like the numbers are getting pretty good in the U.S. Um, you know the the president of uh, one of the biggest teachers unions in the U.S., Randy Weingarten, who was also I think a um, top contender for Secretary of Education, by the way. Mm. Um, said 
that schools have to be open in the fall was really is really in this New York Times article advocating yes for schools being open in the fall isn't she and that and that's such a big deal because it was it was not the case obviously not too long ago but circumstances changed as we had said you know uh, we hoped would happen circumstances have changed for you guys you know what i mean it's like there's there's just that influx and i think i mean what what you can currently see as far as a trend in the united states and hopefully the trend continues that we will be fully in person obviously the the cdc stating just uh this past week to that we could go ahead and not have to wear masks um both outside and then also inside if you or if you had your vaccines that's a huge huge move and that signals to me that there is a possibility that next fall and with uh the union supporting this that we will be fully in person and then the question will be how far will we be down the road then whether or not we'll have to even have masks that should be interesting so this summer will be really i hope an amazing awesome summer and Mm -hmm. that's part of the the amazingness will be that we will be somewhat normal in in the fall we'll see i i don't want to you know say that that's going to happen but if it does my goodness what a what an I think teachers will be elated, and yeah, I I think yeah. we, we all be will be and students too. We we will be really excited to get back to uh, what a normal normal year. Yeah, go get vaccinated, people. Yes, go get a vaccine. Please. Um, you you can't listen. Like I don't know how many of our like I'm sure that the ratio of our listeners yes. that are anti vaxxers is pretty pretty low. <laughs> pretty low. I, uh, I mean, you would have left us a long <laughs> yes. time before now if you're an anti vaxxer <laughs> yes. for the other things because because of the other things that anti vaxxers tend <laughs> yeah, absolutely. to be. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you if you've stuck with us through Trump and DeVos and guns and and all of the other things. You know, exactly. and you know, and, and still, <laughs> and still refuse to get the vaccine. Um, please, it, it stands in, in in absolute cognitive dissonance to the idea of your desire for schools to be open a hundred percent and for kids to be in those schools with teachers a hundred percent of the time. Mm. Those two things, either either one's going to happen or. You know, but but they can't happen without each other. No, so we need it to happen. Yeah, you know, go get a vaccine if you're if you're if your kid is twelve years of age or older, which is I think the age now. Yeah, go get your kids vaccinated, um, so that your family is safe, um, and so that we can go back to schools. Um, everyone wants this, um, but we want to be alive a lot yes. more. Uh, so, so be smart and, and get your vaccine. I wanted to end on a high note. Okay. Not that that wasn't down. That was good. That was a good note. We're, this is generally a positive, this is generally a positive block one, Glenn. Yeah. This, this has been a very positive. Shockingly. Uh. (laughs) I was, I was told once if we were a more positive podcast, we'd have more listeners. Well, here you go, friend. This is like, I mean, this is rainbows and sunshine all around. Um, (laughs) 
a Toronto principal got 1,400 people in the surrounding neighborhood their COVID-19 vaccine. Wow. And you know what's amazing about this story? Well, there's lots of things, but um, I mean, it's very hard. It was very hard for the longest time to get a damn vaccine mm. in Ontario. And so, I mean, and getting anyone that wasn't like 80 years old in, in a, in a long-term care facility, yeah. or you had to be a doctor or a nurse to get a, a vaccine for the longest time. Um, it was just very difficult. We did not have the supply that the United States had and Great Britain and Europe had. Um, we've basically had to bring in all of our vaccines from other places. Mm. Um, so when, when this principal, um, you know, was able to not only get the local neighborhood, which was in a hot spot in Toronto, their vaccines, but then advocated for his local school community. Can mm. my teachers get a vaccine? Oh, they can. Okay, cool. Can my students' parents get the vaccine? Because listen, if the students get the vaccine, um, uh, but the, if the teachers get the vaccine, but the parents can't, then we're still going to have the same problem. So can my parents in my local community get the vaccine as well? And then they actively went out into the neighborhood and said, listen, Crazy. this is what we're doing. We're having a vaccine clinic. It's going to be in our school. Come and get a vaccine. And, and the, the, the leadership was just astounding. And I am just, it, it made me so happy to see, um, teachers, and leaders and administrators being like, um, you know, held up in this way. Um, and, and the quote from the article um, that I that I pulled mm. says, it, it, and so true, it demonstrates how crucial public schools are in our communities. It's more than just a place for our kids to go and learn. Yeah. And so even though, you know, we really want schools to be open so our kids can go and learn, you know, schools play a critical role in yes. society. And this shows that that critical role doesn't get diminished just because the school is closed. Yeah. This is like one example out of so many that have now just been brought to light how important schools are uh, and how import important your, your educators are. Um, and in this case, the leadership at the school and how amazing they can not just be leaders within their local, the school and the school district, but even in their community. Uh, great story. Love it. And so when we come back, stay with us. We are going to be talking to Yaritza Fierba. We are building this virtual community of educators who share an interest in game design and teaching new skills. We will use this space to connect, collaborate, and innovate with Sandbox. That's Sebastian Bourget. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at The Sandbox. This community is here to provide guidance, support, feedback, and suggestions on how to best use The Sandbox within the context of teaching and learning how to make video games. It allows also to connect experts and educators bringing together existing creators and members of the Sandbox game platform community with professional educators. The Sandbox community has grown into a vibrant space of 100 plus educators. How can you get involved? More to come later in the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest started her career teaching social studies to high school students in 
Brooklyn, New York. Throughout the years, she has developed curriculum materials and led a ton of professional development and spoke at a lot of conferences, which is where we met her. She is currently a lead teacher of an alternative high school in teaching overaged and undercredited students history through a critical lens. Welcome to On Education, Yarita Vijalba. Hey, Mike and Glenn, I'm so excited to be here today. Yaritza, for our audience members that may be unfamiliar with your work, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Maybe tell us a little bit about you and, and your journey here so far in education. So Mike mentioned most of it. Um, I've been teaching for 11 years here in Brooklyn, New York. Eight of those years has been with students who are overage and undercredited. So my students are ages ranging 16 to 21. Um, I teach US history and AP US history. So not only am I tasked with getting them prepared for the Regents, which is a standardized assessment, I'm also you know, tasked with getting them prepared for an advanced placement test, which is standardized testing. Um, and I'm also the host of the Flipgrid series, Actuarita, which focuses on culturally responsive teaching which guides most of the PDs that I actually present in or, or conferences. Um, just teaching teachers um, how to really get to know their students before introducing content. So that nitty gritty part of, hey, how are you? What kind of music do you like? What kind of foods do you eat? You know, most of the questions teachers fail to ask or have students put it on index cards and then forget that it was in their drawers. That's true. mostly, you know, my journey, just getting to know kids. That's awesome. And so you talk a lot about this, this, this idea of culturally responsive teaching. That's, that's kind of the way it's framed. And, and so why don't you d define that for us a, a little bit, d take us into the weeds a little bit on that. Um, and what that looks like in, in practice a little bit more. So to simplify the definition, culture responsive teaching is how teachers literally mesh in a student's interests, their culture, um, music, foods, into their daily practices. And so it's just the inclusion of who your students are in your lesson plans. You know, sometimes teachers create lesson plans and they don't have students in mind. So I'm just strictly thinking about meeting these standards from the state or thinking about this curriculum and the state assessment that students have to take, but you're not thinking about the individual 26 students who think differently, who may answer questions differently, who take tests differently. Um, so it's just acknowledging that there's differences in a diverse community in front of you. And so what are you going to do with that? You have to include them into your daily practices and how do you how would you do that though like like i mean i i get i get that it's about questioning and, and taking deep dives but is there is there like practical ways that that teachers without without basically taking us through one of your i'm sure amazing pd sessions um practical ways that teachers low especially low barrier ways because i think a lot of teachers want to do this but also teachers are facing the challenges of things like standardized testing that get in the way of doing this uh, or that they at least make the excuse that they're getting in the way of doing this right 
I think it's, it's honestly simple. As adults, when we go into interviews, we would love to be asked who we are and how we could contribute yeah. to, you know, that new work environment. That's exactly what you're doing in the classroom. You're finding opportunities or creating opportunities for students to just say who they are. Um, nine times out of 10, you'll, you'll be taken back by how students present themselves or even the things that students share with themselves about themselves, sorry. Um, so what I would say to a teacher who wants to be culturally responsive or who wants to be more involved um, in their students' lives is just create an opportunity for a student to really tell you about themselves beyond what their test score said before they walked into your classroom, right? Because a lot of us make assumptions about our students. I may look at eighth grade test scores or because my students are 16 to 21, they've been in high school six to seven years most of the time. And so it's me looking at what they did in their past schools. And so sometimes I have so many assumptions and then you have this kid and you're just like, hey, who are you? And it's like a totally different, you know, vibe because now you're taking Mm -hmm. away everything you've assumed about the kid and you're allowing that student to paint a picture for themselves of themselves as well. That's that's a great answer. So with with polarization the way it is now, like in the in the U.S. in particular, but it's I'm Canadian and it's bad in Canada, too. I feel like it's become harder and harder to be a culturally responsive teacher in a world where everything is political. I mean, I you know, saying Black Lives Matter has somehow become injected as politics as opposed to just, you know, believing that people's lives, you know, matter and that that shouldn't be something that's a political statement. Um, so what do you say? Like, and I mean, this has to come up. What do you say to um, teachers who are trying to thread that needle, especially in spaces in the United States where, um, you know, there are places in, in the United States in particular that that are not very culturally responsive and that giving students the space to for you to be culturally responsive in your classroom would be considered you injecting politics into your class. There are whole districts in the United States that would fire teachers in some cases for going over a line, so to speak. What do you say? What do you say to that? I mean, take as long as you want, because this is a big problem. And like, you know, we need to figure out how to do it without getting fired. Some of these people. So first is the acknowledgement that this nation was built on politics, right? The idea of having separate viewpoints, the idea of having different perspectives. Um, Politics itself stemmed from two men disliking each other's views. And so when we sit back and we think about what's going on in our nation, it's something that has always happened in our nation. There's differences that exist, but when you get down to the nitty gritty of it all, it exists because of race. Um, I would say to teachers, you're doing kids a disservice if you're not going to talk about Black Lives Matter, if you're not going to talk about indigenous peoples, if you're not going to talk about people of color and how we've contributed to this country uh, for centuries. And for centuries, you know, we've been frowned upon and we've been excluded out of many things. And so in order for a teacher to be a culturally responsive teacher, you have to first reflect on your own biases, right? And, and we all have biases, but it's 
I have to acknowledge what exists within myself so that way I can leave space for everything else that I want to learn. Um, you, you touched on the idea of bringing politics into the classroom. I believe that, especially as a US history teacher, it's, it's all in how you do it. I could frame a question and sit back and watch my students go at it. And honestly, that is my job. My job is to ensure that students voice their opinions the best way they know how, because in the real world, no one's going to spoon feed kids information. They have to be prepared to stand up for themselves. They have to be prepared to know their rights. They have to be prepared to know how to engage as citizens. And so the best way to do it, especially if you're a teacher who you may, you know, like Mike said, be afraid of losing your job. Pose a question and watch the action. Um, as a teacher, we're, we're also responsible for giving students the necessary tools. You do that by giving resources. I always say stick to primary and secondary sources, mostly primary, because they tell you a story in a way in which we weren't there for those events. But when you read it, it's almost like you were a part of it, right? You you was a part of the, the signing point. of the Constitution. You was a part of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You were a part of those wars that separated men based off of race, based off of class, based off of gender. And so this is exactly what we're dealing with today. So folks have to, um, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm allowed to say this, but pull up okay. your panties. It's time for us to get realistic because... Yeah. Honestly, the next generation is supposed to take over. And we, especially myself, I want to leave this world knowing that I left it in good hands. And the only way we can do that is by preparing them for life. And it's about being realistic. Um, I believe that if I leave my classroom and I stuck to just a textbook and I didn't talk to my students about, you know, the fact that African-Americans helped build this nation, the fact that Native Americans were here, the fact that Christopher Columbus did not discover America, then what am I doing? What, what did I study so much for? What did I get two masters for to just, I guess, to, to just reiterate what's in a textbook or am I here to challenge thinking you know and I, I believe that even as a teacher or as an adult soon to be mother it is my task to do that daily you know whether yeah. fits even with my boyfriend I ask him questions sometimes and he's like yo and I'm like hey I'm a history teacher what do you think about this or you know he's watching CNN and he's like hey what do you think about this as well because if you're not talking about the issues of today then what exactly are you doing where are you living you have got to have an opinion on the 1619 project then and the the vitriol that comes from the the right over teaching what is basic fact about the way that people were treated in the United States i'm i'm curious on your your thoughts on on the content and and on the opposition to the content cuz i think that this is this is an epitome of what we're talking about right so last year, um, before the pandemic hit, our school was supposed to take students on a trip to Ghana. Um, it was myself, it was the assistant principal, the principal, and 12 students. And um, we were Amazing. tasked, and, and I had to like really think about what kind of content I would supply my students with. That way, when we go to Ghana, we're able to share not only experiences, but knowledge from the United States or from the American perspective. Um, one of those resources was the 1619 Project. And I chose it because 
It's realistic, it's brutally honest, and it's information that we all need to know. Whether we Mm -hmm. agree with it, whether we disagree with it, we need to know it because honestly, it's the truth. Um, One thing that I noticed was we would video chat with students from Ghana and one question they kept asking my students was, why did they choose us to enslave? Why us, why us? And Mm -hmm. my students, you know, kept giving factual information, but I wanted my students to dig deeper because the students in Ghana, you know, and I told my students, you have to think about their resources. Their resources are coming from, um, you know, Caucasians who've ruled Africa for so long, especially West Africa, um, that the people who are living there don't really know their own truths. And so could you imagine engaging in conversation with someone about their being and about why things happen and no one has ever told them the truth as to why things are the way they are. No one has really sat down and spoke to them about colonization. Um, So one, I'm upset that, you know, with COVID, we couldn't go to Ghana. But I'm also appreciative of the experience because I was able to show my students that other side that, you know, don't believe the truth is being told around the world. It's not, it's being hidden. And so you you asked about, you know, the 1619 project. It's important. It's 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 a legacy. It is honestly all the information that textbooks have failed to present in one document. And Just that's the it's reason in the textbook doesn't make it right. 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 And and that's honestly the reason why yes. Trump didn't want us to have access to it. You know, people fail um, to realize that the truth comes out, whether if it's going to be in written form, whether if it's going to be in videos. You know, so many people are now a part of the woke movement. Um, I always say um, now people are listening more and it's not just mm-hmm. going in one ear and going out the next because people are getting tired of experiencing the same thing over and over and over again, right? We can't still be in the same place that we are now in education where we were before the civil rights movement. That's an issue. That's an issue. Communities Absolutely. are not supposed to still be suffering the way they were pre-civil rights and even post-civil rights, right? Because when you think about it, a lot of black communities actually excelled when we weren't integrated. We were actually doing better when we were segregated. And then you Mm -hmm. integrate us and Mm -hmm. put so many laws in place that now you have this ceiling, right, that's preventing us from becoming more successful. And so we have to think about how um, laws are being made to benefit one race and not the next. The 1619 Project is literally just presenting us with the facts. And it's what are we going to do as an adult? What are we going to do as teachers? How are we going to present this to students? And I would say present it the same way I did. I had them read it and I said, so what are your questions? You know, because at the end of the day, you want them to have their own opinions about it. You want them to be able to get that document and and write on it and and ask questions and, and Google and then know that I told you Wikipedia was wrong. You know, and for teachers who stress Wikipedia, (laughs) there you go. I told you Wikipedia was wrong. But also there's more that we need to learn as a civilization. 
So powerful. Um, Yaritza, you run a fantastic nonprofit organization called YV Resources, where you help administrators, teachers, and, and coaches like me, instructional coaches, draw upon current research to enhance instruction and improve learning outcomes. I have a question about this specific year. As we come to the end of this year and we start reflecting upon it, what should we as educators be taking away from pandemic teaching? And is there anything specific that we should continue to do? There were so many different things that happened in so many different situations that we were put in. And as you speak to educators out there and you're sharing resources with them, what are some things that we should learn from and continue to go ahead and do as as next year comes, next fall comes um, around? Teaching during a pandemic has taught us to think outside the box. Um, not only that, it, it taught us to teach when we didn't have so many resources placed in front of us to do so, right? Because mm -hmm. you had it where so True. many schools um, who already had one-to-one -one devices were able to flourish, meaning give students devices, right? But other schools lacked in that area. So we had to figure out ways to get work to students plus the the resources, the computers or the laptops. And then on top of that Wi-Fi. And once class began, you missed the most important part. A lot of students didn't know how to use the technology. And so teachers had to be mm. creative with not only teaching themselves how to be more flexible with the technology, but also teaching students and teaching parents. Um, so what I would say is you became more creative. You did more than what was asked of you. And you honestly set other boundaries. So what I would say is you have to continue that. 68% um, of the job force now is going to be in STEM. How are you going to prepare your students, whether you teach history or science or math or English, how are you preparing your students for the job force? Because honestly, that should be everyone's goal, right? Even if a kid is taking a standardized test, it's okay, I'm going to prepare you to understand mathematical equations because not only do you need to take this exam but i know that if you invest x amount of money in the stock then i know by the time you graduate high school you might be able to you know build your own company or whatever the case may be um, mm. a lot of our students are used to thinking outside the box already and that's where that coaching responsive yeah. teaching piece comes from you have to know your students i've never met a student who just flat out said, yeah, I just want to go to college, not my students. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've sat in classes for so long that high school teachers have already taken that opportunity away from my students. I think they just want to graduate and go on with their lives. But also my students are parents. Yeah. My students have their own kids. My students have their own jobs. Yeah. And so it's as a teacher, how am I equipping you with the tools necessary for you to go out into that job force and work at one of those, you know, STEM jobs. How am I going to give you the tools to create? How am I going to give you the tools to become more successful, especially if college is not your option because you don't want to go to college? And so I would say, you know, still think outside the box. If your schools are trying to go to a more traditional way of teaching, we know that's not going to work. The data shows it hasn't worked all this time, which is why students are struggling now. They're not struggling just because they don't know how to turn on a laptop or because they're falling asleep at home. It's because they're missing point. that engagement piece. And some of us are still teaching remote as if we were in person, meaning we're just 
lecturing. Who wants to hear someone lecture, you know? <laughs> and so I, I would just say, just continue to teach outside the box. And, and that's exactly what I had to transform my organization to because at first uh, when I gave workshops and seminars, it was face to face and it was me just showing yeah. teachers what I did in class um, because to me, I felt like, okay, well, I got this and I'm doing it right and my students love it. And if I, if my students love it, then everyone's students should love it. Um, and then once the pandemic hit, I had to think about teachers and parents and administrators and students. I had to think about everyone as a collective. And so it was more of, this is what I do, but now I'm going to show you how to do it. So I can't just say this is an effective practice. I had to take the time to actually create free workshops for you to be able to engage in. I might play music. I did free giveaways. I reached out to a lot of companies to be able to give swag because you know, teachers love swag um and it worked <laughs> say it ain't so say it ain't so. right <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it worked but it was yeah. just the idea of you know just changing the norm i had to change my norm i had to know that i had to access teachers or meet them where they are so if that means for me to make it a time where it may be five o'clock in the morning in india you know, but teachers are still logged on. So I had to even change how I presented things. I can't lecture you. So let's do some hands-on activities or some digital activities that you can now include in your classroom if I use it with Flipgrid. So smart. If our audience wants to connect with you online and continue the conversation, what's the best way to go ahead and do that? So I am a Twitter head. Um, even though <laughs> last year, the beginning of last year, I actually wasn't. So I was not into social media. Um, but once the pandemic hit, I needed to find ways to still communicate with teachers. And um, mm -hmm. Twitter was that way. So I am on Twitter. Um, you can find me at INC underscore YV. If I don't respond right away, just know I'm going to respond eventually because sometimes it's like 40 or 50 things I'm being tagged in. Um, but Twitter is the way to go. And also on my website, yveducationalresources.com, you can ask any questions you like, even if you want access to resources, they are there. Yuritza, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. The Sandbox is creating a learning ecosystem where educators can learn in weekly streams, bring ideas into their classrooms, collaborate with other educators, and become Sandbox ambassadors. Our goal through the stream is to show the world how low the barrier can be to teaching and learning game making through our no-code and accessible platform. Anyone can do it. Passion and education. You can feel it in the streams as we explore and share ideas around game design implementation in your teaching practice. Join the community to learn more at go.participate.com slash sandbox. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. 
please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.